Welcome back to episode number 45, the big four five of the MP Dude. This is Jeff the MP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of our voices, so keep those comments, questions, and concerns coming into me. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing a good job getting me some information, getting me issues that you're worried about, things that you, you kind of understand but don't really, and um, you know a lot of it's stuff that I've already covered before, so I can just point to that. But there's always something new, and there's always another issue that's just slightly different than what I've talked about in the past, and, and uh, it's important for us to kind of cover those things, too, to make sure we're not missing anything. Let's close the loop, right? We're going to close the loop on issues. So what are we going to close the loop on today? I had somebody ask me about, uh, it was an email that came in, and there was, uh, there was a handful of Facebook threads that have gone through the, through the days over the last, I don't know, week and a half. Every couple days, you'll see it pop up. What's the issue? Can a psych, can a FNP work in psych? And we've talked about this a little bit when I had Joe on the show, and I've talked a little bit about scope of practice and uh, your scope that's allowed through your board of nursing and how to try to figure that out, and I'll expand on that too. But we never really specifically talked about whether FNPs can do psych nursing. You know, we're generalists, and, and we do that all. We, we, we can do a lot of different things, which is why it's enticing to do FNP. And we don't narrow and don't lock ourselves into one specific patient population or one specific uh, type of type of nursing. But the problem is, is that FNP is generalist, and so where are those lines delineated? And it's really hard to get into the into the weeds and and find, well, if, I, if I'm allowed to do this, then why can't I do that? And I should be able to do this. We talked about it in school, so I should be able to do it. And, and you know, we, we've maybe I worked in a clinical rotation that was really good and heavy in psych, and I could, you know, I feel very comfortable doing this. But does that mean you can or can't do it? And my favorite answer in this world is it depends. It depends. It depends. It really, really does. And, and um, so I, I get people ask these questions, and it's really hard to just email back because it's, when you answer back, it depends. It adds in you know, three other emails, and it takes half a day to get a response. But it's, just, it's, not, it's too clunky to work that way. So it's easier for me to pick up my recorder and say, here, let me just talk about why I think it depends, throw out some hypotheticals, and then have you guys take a listen. And if you have more questions, you shoot them to me. And then we'll round back to it. But I, I think I'll answer a lot of why it depends. Now... Am I the expert be-all, end-all in scope of practice for FNP? No. Your board of nursing is, so you need to check with your board of nursing. Here's the problem. Here's why I said you try to check with your board of nursing. It really depends on if they, re if they respond to you. Ohio Board of Nursing is not, let's just say they're very busy, and so I'm going to give them that out, that they don't respond very quickly because they are very busy. they got a bunch of people bugging them all the time about stupid rules that don't really make a lot of sense and they don't do a great job of organizing how that information is, is disseminated. So they get a lot of questions and so they're swamped. So I recognize that. But your board may be more reactive and might be able to, to get back to you a lot quicker. So you need to find out what your scope is in your state. It really depends on your state. Now here's the deal in Ohio. They're coming down hard on acute care NPs but then they're, we have, we have uh, it, you know, the, the, the mindset from the legislature is that psych is kind of an open door. So it really depends. I, and I don't know the answer even in Ohio. But what would I do to be safe? That's what I would, you know, here's what I would do. 
if I was an, an FMP, which I am, and I said, well, I, th- I think I want to do some psych stuff that's more heavily involved than what you would typically handle in a family practice. Now, what, is that, what do I mean by that? If I got somebody that's bipolar and I'm changing meds in a family practice, you're playing with fire. <laughs> you just don't do it. I don't know any family practice doctor that would do that. They'd send them to psych. They don't do that. That's not what they do. No, you start somebody on an antidepressant. Yeah, it's a single, it's a single issue. It's not that big a deal. Maybe a little PTSD. I could deal with some of that. You know, maybe some ADHD if they're already established. I have no problem with those things. That's that's kind of what we do. We tweak things in that world. We don't usually do a lot of starting and a lot of counseling. We just don't. It's not the resources that we have. We don't do that. So would I do it? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't just go say, "Yeah, I, I, I'm good to go." I wouldn't take a job as a psych NP unless I had some kind of certification. And I talked about this with Joe, and, and it doesn't really matter to me what that is personally. I think from a liability standpoint, as long as you're certified from an accrediting body, I think you're good to go. And AANP, we talked about the acute care issue. But I'm guessing that they have similar with, with psych as well. So check out your, your certification if you're ANCC or AANP and see if they have a counterpart for psych and what, what those pathways are to get that. Some of them, from what I talked to Joe, it was in the acute care setting, it was, you know, like an externship type, you know, where you're, you're getting sign off sheets and getting things checked off and then you take the test. Or you, you can do it, you know, check off sheets, and then you do so many CMEs, and then they'll recognize that and say, okay, you've done enough work, you've been in that enough that we trust you, and they give you the certification. So check that out and see what you can do. But why, why would I even recommend that? Why, and, and I know I'm going to get somebody that's said, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've got excellent experience working in a psychiatric practice and I have no problem and I'm very comfortable and confident doing medicine changes and, and dealing with you know initiating patients on you know with with dual diagnoses and all yes you're out there I get it but from a liability standpoint it looks scary it just does now you you could use your 30 years or 20 years of experience in that to say yeah I've, I've developed you know you can't tell me somebody with a certification is gonna trump somebody with 28 years ex- experience Okay, you might win on that one. I got it. But the problem is is that most of the people that are asking the question, do I need a psych uh, certification? If you're asking the question, the answer is probably yes. It probably is. Now, here's my here's my fallback. And this is where if if I'm going to fall back to this position, then I would anticipate that most state boards would fall back to this position, but they could. They could do something totally different, and I'm not saying this is what any state board does. But if I was the state board, I would say, well, if there is an educational pathway that is av- available to you, that you have to take that before before we say that you are um, that's within your scope of practice. So what I'm saying is, if there is a psych NP track at the master's level that you could have taken, right, then you should have done that. Now, should have or could have is you know different, right? But boards of nursing are harsh. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care about you. They're the they're the cops. They got a big stick. They don't mind using it. The big stick is yanking your license away, by the way, or fining you. Those are big sticks. So, sorry, just looking. 
make sure I don't get run over. Um, so what's the issue, though? I, I just think that you're, you know, le- the level of pers- or personal or professional liability is independent of whether you're acting in w- within the scope of practice at the nurse uh, board of nursing level. So if you can figure out what the board of nursing wants, that's one piece of evidence that you're meeting the standard of care from a negligence and malpractice standpoint. But that's only one. They they may look at the industry. They may look at um, what others are doing. What you know? What's what's reasonable amount of schooling? Did, did you you know? What did you learn in your in your schooling practice? And then what did you do wrong at this particular instance from a negligence standpoint? So don't think for a second that the board of nursing's threshold is the standard of care. It's one piece of the puzzle to prove standard of care. Go back and listen to my malpractice basics. It's one of the first shows I did. And, and it's just the basics about what malpractice is and, the, and how you prove it and that, that kind of stuff. So if, you, if you're a newer listener, go back and listen to that one. I think that that'll help give you some guidance as to um, understanding whether your, you know, your scope of practice is the threshold for your standard of care. They're two different things, and people mix that up all the time. They assume that the standard of care is what the, what the, nurse, the Board of Nursing tells you. Because you're, you know, you, well, what is the standard? It's very nebulous. It's hard to define. It depends on the circumstances, and people don't want it to try to figure that out. So they, their brain is lazy. They don't want to try to figure out what the standard of care is. So instead, what do they do? They fall back on, well, my license says I can do it. I must be meeting the standard of care, and that isn't always the case. Usually, it is, but not always. It's not the same thing. So go back and look at, listen to Malpractice. Go back and listen to all of them. Start at zero, zero, 001 and go all the way through. That's, what I'm, that's my recommendation is do that, and you'll, you'll have a better understanding of what, what I'm trying to explain here. But as far as the Psych NP thing, I, I would get something that is recognized by the state as a minimum so that you don't lose your license, number one, and number two, that's evidence that you're meeting the standard of care. Now, does that mean that you are? No. So you still need to get something. Is it continuing educations? Is it uh, uh, so many hours working under the, the the physician before you start taking taking call and being on your own and, and really running your own patients? You know, bringing them into the practice, diagnosing them with multiple, you know, psychiatric problems, managing multiple psychiatric problems. Those are all issues with that. Now, there was another tidbit of question that kind of came from this one and it was it was an expanded issue in the Facebook page and the same person emailed me that also um, that did this Facebook page at least I believe it was I, I think it was I, I'm not 100% sure but I believe it was and there was more information in the Facebook page and, it, and there was some discussion about whether um, they could take the um, take or cover the hospital while the the collaborative physicians out of the office like out of town on vacation and there was a lot of people that responded yes you can do it with medical management for sure yeah you could you could cover that but in a hospital setting are you covering their medical management you're just not you're doing psych right if you're you work for psychiatry and you you get consulted for one of your patients that's going into the hospital or you are even sending them to the hospital they're threatening to kill themselves or whatever and you pink slip them and in Ohio, I think you can pink slip now. I think that was part of House Bill 216, that you can pink slip. I'm not in psych. I don't pink slip. So somebody tell me if that's true or not. I think that is. I think I read that somewhere. 
but you send them to the hospital and now you're you're going to get them in there. Are you going to manage their blood pressure while they're in the hospital? You might, but chances are the hospitalist is going to be doing that. That's I, I'm pretty sure that's how it works now, right? I mean, I don't do that. I don't do that kind of stuff. So that that's the question: is can you do medical management? Yes, you can. But would you? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. If you if you are, then great, do that. And you could keep the meds from a psych standpoint where they are stable. I don't see any reason to do that. Now I've also talked in the past, and this is a. a something that I would encourage new NPs like or newer like myself that if you are working in an area that you're not familiar with you have to really make sure your collaborative is on the ball because <laughs> if you're continuing the meds that they're doing and they're either off-label or outside of the practice that you're supposed to be doing your scope of practice in Ohio we have a formulary and in soon hopefully the next month or two it's going to be exclusionary only so that'll make it a little cleaner for us but not much there's still going to be some gray areas. New meds that come up that they haven't talked about yet, that you know that class you're not allowed to touch, but it's a new med. Are you allowed to do it? I don't know. The board says maybe if, you're, if your physician does it, you can. So it gets into a gray area. So there's always, there's always going to be those gray areas about are you really supposed to be doing this med or not. And if your collaborative is doing it, in theory, you should be able to do it too. But the, the problem that comes into play is are they doing it right? I mean, do you really trust this this person with your license that you maybe don't know yet as a new practitioner? I don't know. It's a scary leap of faith. It's a very scary leap of faith. What I, I what my recommendation would be is if I was working in a specialty, any specialty, I would be learning the first three three to six months. And I would say, look, I'm not going to be a lot of use because I'm going to be learning all this stuff. And no offense, it's my license. So I want to see exactly where you're getting all this information. Now, if it's general stuff that you're like, ah, not a big deal, but weird stuff like make sure the hackles on the back of your neck stand up, you need to see the literature on that. And you need to ask them, where are you finding this stuff? Because I need to know. I want to know where it is. And if you have a good collaborative, they're going to be like, thank God I got somebody that wants to learn. And, and they should embrace it. Because they're just going to point in a direction and say, it's this article by so-and-so, and it's somewhere over there on my stack, a junk in the corner of my office. Go find it. Well, you're going to find it, and you're going to read it, and you're going to make sure that they're doing it to the letter of what's the recommended standard of care. Because if you continue that medicine, even though you're not allowed to start it, you're now liable. Congratulations. You've graduated to liability. Hmm. All right, so that's enough on that one. Um, the other one that I wanted to talk about today was... Um, just a kind of a fun topic, and, and, and I like talking about this because I've done a lot of it, and, um, and I think it's helpful to a lot of people that don't do this or haven't done it in the past, and it's just generic contract negotiation. How to, how to, you, you don't know what you're doing, you're, you graduated, you passed your boards, you got resumes out to everybody, including the clerk at the, the grocery store's brother that works at a doctor's office and, or an NP practice or whatever, and you got them out everywhere. You've been talking to everybody. I'm open to anything. Come find me. You know, I'm, I'm looking for everything. And uh, you're sifting through all these people, and you find somebody that you like, and they like you, and there's some, there's some, some common ground there. And, and I've talked about already not handing your cards and, and telling them what you're what you think you're worth right off the bat let them tell you what you, they think and that's a test of them as well to find out what they what, what they value you if they give you a low, really low number then you need need either need to do a lot of education with them and they don't know what they're doing or they're jerks and you don't want to work there anyways so you need to figure out which one is that when you do that. So that, I, I didn't answer that. I didn't talk about that in that previous episode that I 
you know, you know how how to handle when they ask you what your what your pay should be. So you want to you want to kind of keep that in mind too. Do you really want to work at this place? And so you you say yes, I do. I I want to work at this place. I, I we've talked a little bit about numbers. We could, we're in the ballpark. We're at that next stage. Now we're just talking. Now now how do we get it from just talking to a contract? And they may say, you know what? I'm a small practice and I don't have a contract. I don't know what to do. Oof, right? They're not taking the reins. So that that means it's a small practice. They don't know what to do. I, I don't know if you want to work there. I don't know. You may ask the question of, well, if you're if you're not able to even write me a contract as a contract employee, I don't know if you're sophisticated enough to be an employer for me. <laughs> and are you going to document well enough of you know my externship hours and and my requirements and CMEs and like credentialing and all the other stuff that has to happen? Those are questions that would come up next. Okay, you, you can't. You don't have a contract set. That's fine. Who's going to do my credentialing? And if they look at you with wide eyes, then I would run. <laughs> I, I mean, or, or just get it in the contract that you're going to pay. Okay, well, let's put a line item. I'll do the credentialing, but that's a lot of time, and it could take three months. So, how many patients do you want me seeing? I don't know. Let's let's keep talking. It depends on how much you really want to work there. If it's the only job in town, you're probably going to take it. And you're going to figure it out. So negotiations. What's my best recommendation for negotiation? You get a blank piece of paper. I've talked about this too. Right down the middle of the paper, you draw a straight line. Right down the middle of the paper. Big Sharpie. Big black line. Left side of the paper at the top, you write in big bold letters, costs. But now you're going to put after that in parentheses, reasonable <laughs> costs. Okay, costs, left side, right side, salary or pay, income, I don't care what word you use, you can put a big plus sign, I don't care, that's what's coming to you, in one way or another, okay, so on the left side of the page, what are your costs, so you're going to add them up, and it depends on the deal, it really, really depends, it depends on the ge geography, where are you in the country, um, it depends on the specialty, it depends on if it's a hospital group. You're not going to have a lot of say in this. If it's a hospital group, you're going to take what they give you and hope it's a good one, good deal. I don't mean it's just the way it is. They don't negotiate much. There's not much wiggle room there. I'm learning more and more. More people I talk to. Then you can work on salary on that one. Starting salary. That's the right side of the column, right? Right column. So that might go up, but the left side stuff it's set. So it really depends on what you're going to get. Now, what's the standard? What are some of the things that you're going to look at? What are you going to get in a practice? Again, it really depends. But most people, you're going to get health insurance. You're going to get some kind of a 401k or 403b investment plan. And they put, they put different caveats on that, like, yeah, you have to be here for three months or six months or a year before we'll give you a match or something like that. Or we don't do a match, but we'll we'll do profit sharing if it's a small company and we'll dip, you know, we'll put money into your 401k for you at the end of the year, but there's no guarantee. So, I mean, they, there's different ways that they try to sweeten that. In my opinion, that left column, I don't care. I really don't. I care about the net, the difference. That's all I care about. You, you want to buy me health insurance? Great. If you don't want to buy me health insurance, great. <laughs> I don't care. I just don't care. I'd prefer you do it because then I don't have to have the hassle of it. But if you don't want to do it, then all that means is that that right side column, the price goes up. It goes up by the cost of the, the insurance policy that I have to get. 
but it gives me more flexibility. I can get the insurance policy I want, and that might change how you know with with our healthcare system. What's going on? I don't know. That might might be changed even before the year's out. We may have a cheaper alternative. We may have a more expensive. I don't know. We just don't know what's going what's going to happen with that. But that gives you some opportunity to go up on your on your other side, on the right side. So if it costs you fifteen thousand dollars for your health insurance, you better have at least fifteen thousand go up plus your salary on the right. So you need to compensate for that. So see what I'm doing? You put your costs on the left and your salary that you expect on the right, and then you and then you make sure that you cover the cost that was on the left on the right to make you whole. Then you, I wouldn't hesitate to even add another couple thousand bucks just because of the fact that I have to manage it. And I would tell them, but when we're negotiating, you know, hey, what what do you want to cover? What do you I want to cover? How do you want to do this? What do you? What's your normal? Do you want to do a health insurance plan? Do you want to do a 401k? Do you want to give me some CME money? How about CME time? How much vacation? These are all things that you guys have to work out on yourselves. And what's reasonable for you may not be reasonable for me. That's why I put reasonable at the top. If you've been a nurse for 40 years and you, you've been an NP for 10 or 15 of those, your reasonableness is totally different than a new grad with no experience. Your reasonableness is, yeah, I want six weeks vacation. <laughs> I'm never going to get that as a new grad. As a you know a four month five month experienced nurse practitioner, you're not going to get that. It's just not going to happen. Even as a year or two, you're not going to get that. So what are you going to get? Three to four weeks. That's probably reasonable for a new a new grad. Two weeks. A lot of places will start with two weeks. I try to negotiate more time. I like my time. Time's important to me. I'd rather have three weeks vacation. So that's a that, but that that column. If you go up on the left side where you get vacation that's paid by them, that that needs to come out of your bucket on the right, in theory. So you got to be aware of that too. So if they're going to cover your cost for CMEs, your 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 price on the right side that you're getting your salary needs to come down a little bit. So that's that's a, you got to keep track of that. And you got to play the game back and forth with with the columns left side right side but write it out and then you'll realize oh wait i gotta pay for that Oof, i gotta cover that cost that needs to go on the right if it's a cost that's covered by them it stays in the left column and i might need to drop my salary down if they're really giving me a good deal on the left now would i drop my salary down no i'd keep it the same and let them drop it down but i would be aware of the fact that i might need to come down a little to get this deal done that's the that's how you do it. You just play the game back and forth. You just have to get all the things on the table and then put them in your columns. That's it. That's how I do it every time. What are some other things that you could expect? Um, CMEs, right? We just kind of mentioned that. CME, average number I've seen in Ohio, in this part of the state. I've read several contracts for people. You know, my, my f- close friends. I'm not doing legal work for you guys. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. I don't have the energy. Now, if you're in Ohio and you want me to review something, I might talk to you. I might give you a cost. I might give you a price. If you really need a lawyer to look at something, you don't know who to go to, but you're in Ohio, I might do that. Give me give me an email. I might I might send you a bill. We'll, we'll figure out something. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, right now, I'm not really practicing law, so I'm not sure if I want to do that or not. But I, I might talk to you. But in uh, in those contracts that I reviewed for my friends, the um, close friends, you guys are all my friends. Try to say it that way, right? The uh, the numbers I'm seeing is like anywhere from a thousand. I saw one that was five hundred. I was like, yeah, it's kind of low. Just make sure you bump up your number to cover your cost for any of your CMEs and certificates and stuff like that, licenses and stuff. 
And uh, on the high end, I'm seeing 2,500, but that was pretty rare. So usually it's like right around 1,000 to 15 is this part of the, the state and in, in, in the country. So if you guys are saying, you know what, in in uh, Alaska I'm getting three grand, I don't know, whatever it is, put it on my Facebook page. Say, hey, right under this 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 show, say, hey, I'm getting this in this state. It'd be interesting to see what we could coalesce. It'd be, it'd be awesome to make a spreadsheet of that, right? Just CME money, but it's really specific though too. So you got to take it with a grain of salt because if you you know you can play the shell game with this, and here's why. CME money is is tax exempt if it's paid through um, if it's paid directly by the employer if you're reimbursed they get to write that off as an expense so if you know you, your CME you go on a trip to Florida you go to Orlando you, the family goes with you 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 have the hotel because you need the hotel anyways but and you cover your airfare they pay theirs right. So you submit your your airfare in the hotel and the cost of the actual CME itself as an expense to the to the employer and you give them your receipts and then they pay you back and you're made whole. It goes away. They write it off on their taxes as a business expense. The problem is is if you're paying it out of pocket is you're paying taxed income. So say say your um, CME all told cost you a thousand dollars to go to Orlando and the family that was a different cost but that was them so, but yours was a thousand and you're in the you know 33 percent tax bracket well in reality you're probably going to be paying almost fifteen hundred dollars pre-taxed for that so fifteen hundred bucks out of your income has got to go away five hundred bucks is going to the, to the state and to the federal government for taxes and then you take your thousand dollars you've made post-tax and pay for your CME well you get to write off a thousand dollars on your taxes but you spent fifteen hundred of pre-tax money so see where the loop is the government gets the win they get the win on that one so that's where the shell game comes in is like CME money how much more can I get well give me you know eight grand of CME money but your, your salary goes way down well the, the problem is is that if you spent eight thousand dollars on CMEs I mean that which is really hard to do but if you did then um, you know that's like ten, twelve thousand dollars of your income. Well, if you got eight thousand dollars of CME money, that's that you can get written off. You know that you just you just get an expense account for. You just save four thousand dollars of your taxable income, and you decrease your taxable income. Might go to a lower tax bracket. You just don't know. So I mean, you got to play the shell game too. So this is where an accountant comes in. Do you need to hire an accountant to negotiate your contract? No. But you might want to be aware of some of the issues before beforehand. Like, where are you in your tax bracket? What's the income range? If I go up another $5,000, $10,000 when I negotiate, is that going to push me into another tax bracket? You might want to look that up. You can look up, just Google tax bracket codes. Or t uh, tax, uh, IRS tax brackets, 2017, and it'll give you your tax bracket. And you just look, it's a range, you know, from, you know, 70,000 to 78,000, it's this tax, and, you know, it's bigger numbers than that, but it's, you get the idea. So look those up. Just generalized negotiation topics, it's really just a matter of knowing things, knowing what you're worth, knowing what the expenses are, knowing what's expected, and then the biggest picture thing that I could say is get the expectations in writing. 
expectations are expectations of pay, expectations of termination, expectations of um, you know whether or I, I have some kind of non-compete agreement. If they don't put a non-compete agreement in there or clause in your agreement, you don't say nothing. Just be silent on it. Don't bitch too much about it. Don't say. Don't even mention non-compete. Just ignore it. And they may have intentionally done that, but most likely they just blew it. But don't say anything. <laughs> it's a recommendation. Just ignore it. Oh, yeah. Let's look over here behind this curtain. We don't want to look behind that one. So read the contract. Be smart about it. If you need a lawyer, you get one. How do you get a lawyer? I say it all the time. You contact your local bar association. Just Google your, your county and bar association. And then it'll come right up. Give them a call. Say, hey, I'm looking for an attorney that can help me negotiate a health care contract. Who would you recommend? And they'll be like, boom, here's three people. And they're going to give you the good ones. They just do. It's because it's their reputation, too. They're not going to rec recommend the turd that's a slime ball. They're going to recommend somebody good. Now, you may pay a little bit more for it, but do you want a slime ball that's going to screw you? <laughs> or do you want somebody that's good that's going to help you out? They might charge you a little bit more, but it's worth it. So it's hard to do a general contract negotiation discussion without getting into the weeds too much because there's so many things to talk about and so many areas and so many uh, you know d different different ways of doing it and so it really really depends it really does but you you need to first start with knowing what your expectations are writing it down on paper and holding yourself accountable to it and not letting it slip through the cracks because you're going to be emotionally like man they want me I want to go start there I love this place it's great this beautiful office the practice is fantastic the staff is happy everything's great I love it I want to do it and then you miss five things because you're like eh I just want to get in there and then you blow it and now you got a 3 year contract with a you know 2 year non compete Oof. So you got to pay attention to that stuff too. It's not all puppy dogs and rainbows. That's my new favorite line, by the way. I just love saying that. Puppy dogs and rainbows. I love that. It's great. All right. This is 30 minutes almost on the dot. So, and I'm thirsty and I want to take a drink. So keep those comments and questions coming to me, and specifically about the contract stuff. If you guys are like headbutting into something, like I don't know how to handle this, send that to me. I'm not going to talk specific to you, but it's a good generalized, you know, what's the issues out there? What do we have to address? How can we handle it? And I, and I think I've got some good recommendations on this stuff. I just need to hear what, the, what problems you guys are having. I just don't know what you guys are having issues with on that. But keep any of the issues coming to me. I'm learning so much from you guys, and I really do appreciate you guys for, for responding back, giving me emails, commenting on the Facebook page. I got another uh, like on iTunes, so keep doing that, guys. Give me some, give me feedback on iTunes, too, because uh, it's still rating. It doesn't say it won't give me the rating yet. <laughs> it's still mocking me. iTunes is mocking me. It's, it's a Mac thing. I'm, maybe they realize that I've, I've never owned a Mac. That's probably what it is. They know. They know somehow that I'm a I'm a, a droid and uh, PC fan. I don't know. It's my engineering days. We didn't use Macs in engineering. Just never did. wasn't wasn't a thing. Maybe they do now, but they didn't when I was. So keep those comments and questions coming. You can always email me Jeff at the NP Um Don't forget to like and share the Facebook page. Did a good day yesterday. Had a, had a decent decent number of downloads yesterday. I put a couple shows out throughout the weekend, so uh, I think that helped too. But uh, keep sharing, guys. You guys are doing a great job, and I appreciate it. We will talk soon.